I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're here with us, Lord, that we can trust fully in your Holy Spirit to just speak to us, Lord. I ask that you would um, empty me of myself. Um, Let whatever you have for these women be what comes forth, Lord. I pray that if there's anything wrong that comes out of my mouth, that those ladies wouldn't hear it, and that only your truth would be what what we learned today, Lord. I ask that you would just be with each one of these ladies, help them today, help them to learn from your word. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would help me. Lord, you see our in, innermost parts, and you know and you know us, and, and you love us, Lord. We just praise you for that. And I just give this all to you, and I lay it at your feet, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, Julie thought it was a good idea for us to piggyback our teachings, and and we all said yes, until now I was thinking that was a little bit crazy. <laughs> but now it's good. It's I know the Lord the Lord handled handled what I thought I couldn't do. He helped me. So let's pray that the lesson is good. Okay. So let's start with a recap, so whoever wasn't here or hasn't been here will know what we're talking about. So we're studying in Esther, we've gone through the first chapter and the second, and so far we've met Mordecai and Esther, we saw Esther and all the other virgins get gathered last week, we found out what they had in store for them, a little beauty treatments, and um, Esther was chosen to be queen, and we learned about... Mordecai's heritage and Esther's and um, we also learned that it was still a secret they hadn't told anyone they were Jews um, and we also saw that Mordecai was working is working at the king's gate and he under uncovered a plot against the king and saved his life but it was only recorded and not rewarded and that's where we start off again today so in chapter 3 if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 3 in verse 1, it says, after these things, and like last last week in chapter 2, it started again, after these things, but what they're trying to say is like something has happened between then. Um, basically, there's been four years of wedded bliss, maybe, we don't know that, but it's been peaceful in the kingdom for four years. So after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, And advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. So, we meet Haman, who is the villain of our story. And we're going to get to do some digging into his history. And I don't know if you remember from last week, but I was like really excited to hear where they came from. I think it's kind of fun. Um, And it's really important to know the backstory. Like last week we learned where Mordecai came from. And that's going to come into play here, where you're going to kind of find out some history here. Okay, and I'm going to break it down for you. And I was thinking about, um, how many of you have seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding? And the dad was like, I can explain how every word comes from Greek, and he'll explain it to you, and there you go. That's how I feel when I was looking into all this and figuring out who came from where. So, okay. First it says, Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. So I was like, what's an Agagite? Okay, it refers to King Agag. 
Agagites. King Agag was king of the Amalekites. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or just write it down, it's 1 Samuel 15. Um, Basically, God commanded, okay, King Saul is commanded by God through Samuel the prophet to utterly destroy the Amalekites. That's an important detail, to utterly destroy. And he didn't really obey God here. He kind of almost destroyed them. And he left King Agag alive, and he kept some of the livestock. But when you don't obey God, there's consequences. And what happened to him is that he was rejected as the king, and he was taken off the throne. And we see later that David is anointed as king. So, Agagite, Agag, there you go. Okay. So, King Agag was king of the Amalekites. Let's see what the Amalekites are. They are descendants of Amalek. And remember that Haman is an Agagite. King Agag is an Agagite, Agag, king of the Amalekites. Okay. So another, I'm going to look at another story, and this is another one of my Old Testament favorites. I just love it. Okay. If you want to turn there, you can. It's Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. I'm going to read it. It says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, the Israel is, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the sun. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amalek, Amalekites, there you go. So this contention or animosity goes all the way back. It goes way back. It even goes back to Esau. Do you, do you guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau and how his mother, Rebecca, helped him trick his father, Isaac, and um, he took the firstborn right from Esau? And so there's always been this kind of butting of heads, and it just goes on and on and on. And so... <clears throat> I was, I was having fun tracking the who's who, who's related to who here. And if you go to Genesis 36, verse 12, you find out that Timnah, this lady, she's a concubine of Elphaz, who is Esau's son, bore Amalek. So Esau, Amalek, Agagites. Yeah. In those days, it was really important to know who you were, who you came from, and they would like, they would share that with you as you were getting older, and you knew, like, if there was a family grudge, you knew about it. Yeah. And you can tell lineage is important in the Bible, because 
there's lots of lists of who was born of who, who came from where. You can even track Jesus Christ's lineage in Matthew 1, 1 through 16. So everybody knew where they came from back then. It was really important. And last week in chapter 2, we learned about Mordecai's lineage. And we could track him back to Kish, who is King Saul's father. And remember, King Saul is the one who started that whole thing with the Agagites. No, Amount kept Agag alive. It's confusing sometimes. So, yeah, this hatred was a deep-rooted thing, and it went on for generations. So now you know about Haman and his background, and you know Mordecai's background, and so you can kind of see why this got Haman so mad. We'll see that later. Okay, so in verse 2 of Esther chapter 3, it says, And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, For so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily. He would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So all this time they've kept their Jewish history a secret. And all of a sudden, Mordecai tells these guys that he's a Jew. And I kind of got stuck on this, got hung up on it when I was studying. I got hung up on, why would he tell them right now? And I didn't find out, like, exactly why. But the Lord was showing me different things about people, about, like, me, myself, and others, probably. But... Maybe, because it says that he was spoken to by the other, the officials, that he was spoken to daily. And I don't know, they might have been nagging him. Like, why aren't you bowing down? You're standing out. You're being different than us. And why are you doing this? And they did it daily. And sometimes I get kind of irritated when my kid's like, Mom, 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 I'm talking to you, Mom, Mom. And then I'm like, what? (laughs) So he could have possibly blurted it out like i'm not bowing down to him i'm a jew and then maybe regretted it we don't know i mean have you guys ever said anything that all of a sudden you were like man i could have said that nicer or i should have said that you know i I, i've done that maybe probably not you guys but me (laughs) well lucky for us because the bible talks about like everything we need to know it talks about this Because the Lord knows that we have issues with our flesh and our mouth is a two-edged sword and we can, you know, he knows. But in James 1.19, when I was thinking about this whole situation, like what if he blurted it out and it wasn't what he should have said, but he did? Just what if? Um, The Lord showed me James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Also, in Proverbs twelve sixteen, it says, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. And I like to think also irritated. It's just something I was meditating on this week, and I know the Lord puts things on your heart on purpose. And what? Proverbs twelve sixteen. So I'm not accusing Mordecai of being, of being a quick-tempered, angry guy. 
but I was just, that was something that I was meditating on this week, and I know the Lord put things on your heart on purpose, and so I thought I would share that with you, just in case, you know, but there's a lesson there. You have to be wise in what you say, and remember that there's consequences for what we say and how we act. So speaking of bad-tempered people, let's get back to Haman. (laughs) Verses 5, verse 5 of Esther 3. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. Wrath. If you look up Proverbs 14, 29, it says that people with understanding control their anger. Anger, not anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Wrath can be defined as rage, fury, or violent anger. And as you'll see later in this chapter, Haman's wrath was violent anger. He sought to annihilate. And it says in verse 6, But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, meaning he didn't just want to get back at Mordecai. He had bigger motives. For they had told him the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. He was so consumed with his wrath that he wanted to kill them all. That's really out-of-control anger. And, you know, the Jews have been targeted from the very beginning. Satan has been trying to thwart God's plans, take out the Jews. They are his apple of his eye, it says in the Bible. The Jews are his chosen people. And whether they know him personally or not, he has plans for them. One of those plans is to send the Messiah through the Jews. And Satan doesn't want that. Well, too bad. God's plans win. When I think of this and all the times that the Lord is, or not the Lord, that the enemy has tried to wipe out the Jews, I can't help but picture, um, I picture the roadrunner and the coyote. I don't know if any of you guys know that. It was, um, I don't remember even what cartoon it was, but it had the roadrunner would always... He would escape the coyote. The coyote would have big plans, you know, the TNT, and it was all situated, and he was ready to take out the roadrunner. He was going to get him. He never did. Never, ever, I don't think they've made one where he caught him, because he doesn't. And that's what I think of when I think of, like, the enemy has never-ending plans to try to take out his people, you know, the Jews, also the Christians, but he doesn't win. And we know that. We know he doesn't win, but he'll try you know, and he gave us his word so we could gird up and be ready for the battle. But he's going to keep trying, and it's not the first time that he's tried. We think of Haman, you know, he he's allowing the enemy to take control over him completely. He's allowing the anger to take over. He's letting the enemy take 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 the reins and and take over. Before him there was Pharaoh, there was Herod, and there was Hitler, and there's so many other examples of the enemy trying to wipe out the Jews, but he he can't do it. He can't win. In verse 7 of Esther 3, it says, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, the cast per, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. So it was part of their culture back then to cast per, and it says in the verse, which is to cast lot. They would do this to find out different things, like tons of different things, but in this instance, it would be to pick the date, and they wanted a date that had good luck. 
in our inductive Bible study, there's kind of a blip on purr. And to sum it up, it was that they would, they would use clay cubes, kind of like dice, and they would roll them to cast lots. And then there was speculation that there would be like a board showing the, the months and the days, and they would throw the cubes on that board, kind of like a board game. And um, if it landed on the specific date consecutively, then that was considered a valid answer from the gods. It was good luck. And you'll see later in verse 13 that it lands on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. And what this means is that Haman had to wait a year before he could take action. So in Proverbs 16.3, it says that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And I'm sure that we all know, you know, casting the lot, gambling, that it seems like it's all luck and, you know, oh, I have good luck. But no, every decision is from the Lord. And if, if he allowed these cubes to land on the 13th day of the 12th month, that was his plan, and it was all ordained by God. He ordained this long de- delay between the concoction of this evil plan. He, he ordained that delay, and you can see that he's at work and has a purpose in it. He, he wasn't left up to chance. And we see later, like, it gives them time. It gives Mordecai and Esther time to think of a plan and what will, what will they do, you know? And also, speaking of Pur, after everything had taken place in Esther, the Jews instated a feast called the Feast of Purim. But we'll learn more about that in chapter 9. I just wanted to give you a little taste. Okay. Really need a drink of water. Here, hold on. Okay, so Haman had his date picked. He was ready to ask the king. So when I, when I was reading this, I was like, because it's kind of sneaky. He gets his, like, he's like, I need to pick a day. It needs to be planned, and then I'll ask. So when I was a kid, I had a routine. Every Sunday I would go to church, and I would see my friends, and I'd be like, I really want them to come over and have a sleepover. But I knew that I had to get my plan ready before I could ask my parents. I needed to know if there was school on Monday. And if there wasn't, one more point for me. I also needed to know, I needed to ask their parents, will you come pick them up? Um, Monday, would you pick up the kid? And if they said yes, that was another point for me. And then I knew that if I asked my dad, I would ask my dad first, and I would say, can I have my friend over? We want to have a sleepover. There's no school, and her parents will pick them up. It's all just really simple. You would just say yes. It'll be great. And he would say, it's okay with me as long as it's okay with your mom. And then I would be like, okay, perfect. And I knew that if I asked him first, I would go ask my mom, and I would say, can I have my friend over? You know, dad said yes. She would say, yeah, only if dad said it's fine. I'm like, well, he said yes. And he said it was totally fine. But I knew I had to ask in this order. Like, my dad really was like, yeah, whatever. And my mom was always like, dad. But I had a plan. I had a routine. And it was sneaky of me. Yes, I was devious as a child. But who isn't? But I kind of like think of this with Haman. He had this plan that he had it all concocted before he even went to the king. He wanted all his ducks in a row, so all he had to do was be like, can I? (coughs) Sneaky. Okay, in Esther chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. 
Their laws are different from all the other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver. I was looking it up, and according to the Greek historian Herodotus, that 10,000 talents was almost two-thirds of the entire Persian Empire's annual income. That's a lot of money. And Haman was going to give it all to the king so he could do this thing. He was going to give it into the hands of the people who do the work and bring it into the king's treasuries. But in verse 10, So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, which now they've added another title to his name. He's not just Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. He's the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Right here, Haman is working it. He knew that the king's treasuries were low from his last attempt to invade Greece that failed. He was willing to fund the whole operation. But, kind of unsurprisingly because of the pride of King Ahasuerus, but surprisingly, King Ahasuerus turned him down, turned the money down, and he lets him do as he wishes. I'm stunned when I think of the amounts of times that the king has allowed other people make up his mind. From when he asked wise men what to do to Vashti, and they came up with their plan to depose her. He could have said, like Julie was saying, um, whoa, my wife, I, I know, just maybe like shave her head or something. But no, <laughs> he didn't do that. He just was like, yeah, it sounds good. And then... When he was lonely, they came up with the plan to fill his harem, get pick one, any one you want, anyone will do. And again, he's, I mean, of course he liked the idea, pretty girls all for him. But, again, he let someone else make up his mind. And then right here, and he just hands his ring over to Haman and lets him do what, as he wishes. Okay. We read in chapter 1 about King Hajuerus's empire being vast. He is ruler over much. Okay. Well, he has a lot of responsibility. And like Spider-Man's Uncle Ben said, (laughs) with great power comes great responsibility. Or in the Bible, (laughs) Luke chapter 12, 48b says, For everyone to whom much is given, from much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. King Ahasuerus had a vast kingdom. He was responsible over much. But he continually let other people make up his mind. It could have been fear of making a mistake and having it as his own. This way he could shirk it off if someone else is like, this wasn't my idea. Someone else came up with this one. But he seems a bit unconcerned unconcerned with the effects that they have. I mean, in our small group, we were talking about when Haman talks to him about certain people, but he doesn't say the Jews. He says, a certain people are causing trouble in your kingdom. It's important to, if someone comes up to you and says, like, there's this girl that thinks you're really silly and doesn't like your hair, 
don't you think maybe you should find out who that is instead of like, oh my gosh, you know, they hate my hair. But if someone comes to you, like this king, if, if Haman came to me, if I was queen, and he came to me and said, there's a certain people who are, you know, defying you in your kingdom, I want to know who instead of just, there you go, take them out. It's fine. I don't care. He doesn't care. And that, that's poor leadership. That's just poor leadership. Okay. Says the queen bee. <laughs> okay, so in Esther chapter 3, verse 12, it says, The king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and decree, a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps and the governors. Oh, and I, I made a note because I was like, what's a satrap? We don't really talk about satraps. But it was, it's a governor of a province, a subordinate ruler, and often a tyrannical one. So maybe not very nice. But they, okay, it was written to accord, according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all the people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it is written and sealed in the king's signet ring. This was actually, you know, Haman wrote everything and sealed it with his king's ring. But again, just being allowed to do whatever in this kingdom. It's just weird. Okay. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, the little children and the women, in one day. On the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued in law, as law, in every province, being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. Okay. Here we see his, what Haman had in mind all along. His decree. And when I think about, I mean, it says, it's, it explicitly says, to destroy to kill and to annihilate all the Jews. I mean, overkill? To kill, destroy, and annihilate. Not just Jews, but specifically all of them, young and old, little children and women. What kind of man would seek to do this kind of evil? A man who's completely turned over to the enemy, completely turned away from God. He's allowing the enemy to have full reign in his life. So I have this close friend of mine who is Greek. She um, she helps me with different things. Leanne. <clears throat> she told me there's a word for this because I was really, like it really upsets me. But she told me there's a word coming from Greek, from Greek words. And it's where we get the word anesthesia from. And it's... Um, Let's see if I can say this right. She said I had to say it with a disgust look on my face. Anesthetos. No. Anesthetos. But it basically means that they have no soul. They're without feeling. And that's the only way that I could explain this kind of action. It's so specific. It's pure evil. And I can't stand it. And once again, the Jews are facing persecution. This isn't the first time that they've gone through this kind of thing, and it's not the last. 
Um, one example, actually a couple examples. In Ezra chapter 4, 12 through 15, the Jews were persecuted again. This happens later when they were allowed to return. Well, maybe it was before this, I don't know. But they were allowed to return from Babylon and they were rebuilding their temple. Also in Acts 16, 20 and 21, the Jews were singled out and persecuted. This was actually Paul and Silas. They were arrested just because they were different. And we know that they're going to face persecution because we've seen it all these times in the Bible and we've seen it in, you know, in World War II. It happened then and it just happens time and time again. And we also face it as Christians. There are Christians around the world that are being persecuted much harsher than we ever will, prayerfully. I mean, thankfully, in America, we have the ability to come to church today and pray and and look into God's word. But I'm sure that there are some of us in this room that have been persecuted because we are Christians, because we claim the name of Jesus Christ. But this isn't a surprise. God told us this would happen. For example, our memory verse in 2 Timothy 3.12 All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We were warned. Also in John 15, 18 18 through 27, you can read that later, but specifically in verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. But in John 16, 33, it reminds us that these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And in Isaiah fifty four seventeen it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment shall, you shall condemn. That is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Okay, back to Esther three fifteen. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command. I bet they were a little scared, like, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. That's the last verse of this chapter. We finish this chapter in an uproar. Someone in a high position got offended, and they used all the power they had in their disposal to get revenge on Mordecai and the Jews. It says in Proverbs 29.2, that when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, they groan. And when I think about these people in Shushan, I mean, imagine if you were, you know, at your home, and then you go out to the square, and they announce there's going to be war, and it's going to be on this day. Just be ready. I would groan. I would be perplexed. I would move far away. But, um, like I said, this isn't the first person to try to take out the Jews, and he's not going to be the last, I'm sure. But God, he's constantly watching, he's constantly waiting, and he's constantly working. Remember the theme in Esther, his providence? These things are happening for a reason and in perfect timing. Be encouraged. A quote that I found while I was listening to 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 my music, I was listening to music, all right. And it said in this hymn called My Father's World, it says, This is my father's world, oh let me never forget, that though the wrong seem often so strong, God is the ruler yet. 
So this might look detrimental to the Jews, but we see later that this plan of Haman's ends up being his own undoing. It rings true what we read in in Psalms 34:21, that evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that we know how the story ends and we know that you are in control. Lord, we thank you. We can trust you in the tribulations. We can trust you in the trials, Lord. I ask for each one of the ladies here and myself that you would help us. Help us in this life that we have and the struggles and the persecution we come under sometimes. Help us to not grow weary in doing good, knowing that we will reap. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and help us to always pick up our sword of truth. Thank you that you love us, Lord. And I pray for the rest of this day and give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.